day. If you'll turn to Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3. We uh, have been discussing relationships. We're in a series, Why Don't You Like Me? And uh, we've, talking, we've been talking about the cultural changes, uh, the, the cultural emphasis there is uh, in the world today on our relationships, who our friends are, who we associate with, who we hang out with. And, um, you know, you have to understand this about anything in life. There is a God definition, and then there's a world definition. And uh, if you want to properly define anything in your life, you have to define it the way God defines it. Because God's the creator. God is the one who ultimately uh, created love. He's the one that ultimately created marriages, relationships. He's the one that created money. He's the one that created finances. And so you've got to understand God's definition for things, not just what we have come to learn in the world's definition. And you'll actually find out that when you get in the Bible and you start to look at things that they're actually very contradictory because there's nothing in the world today that is of God any longer because this world is controlled by someone who hates God, someone who doesn't want anything that God is about. And so he has come in uh, to pervert and twist everything that God created. And we're seeing that happen. So when we're talking about relationships, you can't define relationships based upon the world's definition. We have to define relationships based upon God's definition. And so we've already seen here in the past few weeks that we've been discussing this, that uh, there is a God definition for relationships where he defined and introduced relationships so that we could help each other discover and fulfill our purpose in life. That's the number one thing we discovered in relationships. The reason you enter a relationship is not because you grew up down the street for them or you've known them all your life or that that girl or that guy was real good looking and so that's why we decided to get married or get hooked up or that's why I want to date this guy or go out with this one or that's why we're best friends. I, I want to be a friend with this guy because he's real cool and if I'm friends with him, then I'll get access to the cool people. That's not why we enter relationships. Shouldn't be. The reason we enter a relationship is because there's something inside of you that I need to help draw out of you, and there's something inside of me that you can help draw out of me. Inside every single person on the face of this planet is greatness. On, on, inside every single person, you have been designed and created with a purpose in mind. Who has the purpose? The one who created you. He's the only one that has the purpose. See, now I don't go to friends to discover my purpose. I don't go to my husband or my wife to discover my purpose. My creator, my manufacturer, the one who put me on the planet, he knows my purpose. He knows why I'm here. But he has given me relationships that can help draw that purpose out. But here's the problem. There's an enemy in the earth. There's a devil. There's a Satan. And he knows if I can get you hooked up with the wrong relationships, your purpose will never come out. And here's the thing. Your purpose directly contradicts his purpose. Your purpose is to storm the gates of hell and keep him from doing and operating in the earth the way he is. So he knows if I can get the wrong people around you, and look, we've all got examples of people that were in our lives at one point, maybe people that are in our lives now, that are smothering our purpose, not drawing our purpose out. We've all got examples of that. doesn't matter what, I mean, I came probably from one of the cleanest backgrounds I guess you could come from. Had godly parents, raised in church, went to Christian schools all my life, had godly friends, but guess what? No matter where I was, even in church, I had the opportunity to get around people that would destroy my purpose, not help me. Doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter where you hung out. It doesn't matter what side of town you grew up on it. None of that matters. We have all had opportunities to get around people that will help us or people that will hurt us. And so we've got to understand this uh, you know, study on relationships. We got to understand why we enter relationships and identify the relationships that we in. Are they helpful relationships or are they hurtful relationships? 
And we saw in the first week that the number one relationship that you'll ever invest in, where you'll place the most amount of investment in, is your relationship with your heavenly father. Because he's the one that has created you. He's the one that's given you the purpose. So the tighter your relationship is with him, the better you'll analyze these relationships on earth. And you'll see the relationships for what they really are. Are they someone that's drawing me closer to God or someone that's drawing me closer to them? And we saw that a true friendship, a true relationship, a proper relationship will draw you closer to God, not draw you closer to themselves. Jesus, even Jesus had opportunities to be drawn into relationships that would draw him away from his father. But he never compromised. He never let those relationships override his relationship with his heavenly father. So if you're going to properly develop relationships on earth, if you're going to have a, a great marriage, if you're going to have a, a, a great friendship, a great coworker relationship, a great employer to employee relationship, you have to understand first my relationship with my father. Then how does this line up? Because Jesus was uh, uh, very specific. If you aren't thinking like my father, then we don't have a relationship. Remember, you don't enter a relationship based upon physical, physicalities, hanging around someone, associating uh, with someone, putting a ring on you. You enter a relationship in your mind. When you think like someone else thinks, you're in a relationship. So what's the greatest way I can be in a relationship with my Heavenly Father? Think like He thinks. Find out what He says and then talk like Him. Respond like He responds. See, when you're in a tight relationship, you'll find that you think like you think alike. You know, that married couples find this out a lot. They'll finish each other's sentences as they get to know each other. And as they grow closer, they begin to think alike. And now I know what she likes. I don't have to ask. I mean, if you came and asked me right now, what's your wife's favorite type of food? I don't have to go. Oh, well, let me go find out. No, I know I've gotten close. I think like her. I know what she's going to like and I know what she's not going to like. Hey, do you think she'd like this dress? I can tell you. Yes or no? Why? Because there's a tight relationship there. And there are people that think that they're entering relationships based upon physical, physical stuff. And they don't know anything about the person. Intimacy is based on information. The more I know about you, the more intimate we are. It has nothing to do with being in the same house, being in the same bed, uh, hanging out at the same places and a show it's based on information and so when i know more about my father and he already knows about me now we're tight that's why jesus could say i do nothing on my own initiative i don't do anything out of my own will out of my own desires i only do what my father tells me to do I do what he tells me to do. I go where he tells me to go. I say what he tells me to say. He was that tight with his father. Why? Because that's where he placed the number one amount of investment. He didn't invest uh, any more with his disciples than he invested with his father. He didn't invest any more with the people than he invested with his father. If he was spending a lot of time with people, it's because he spent a lot more time with his father. Because he was getting up early, before the day even broke. And then when he got in a relationship with people, he was able to properly align it with, are they thinking like my father? So that's the number one relationship you will develop. The second week, we talked about affirmation. We talked about putting weights on people that they can't carry. And many times, uh, because we don't understand the purpose of relationships, we put weights on people that they were never designed to carry or hold in our lives. We want them to like us. We want them to like everything we do. We, want, we, we do everything to try to appease men uh, rather than trying to please God. And that's backwards. Because you'll find out if you're living a life that's pleasing God, you'll appease men. You will properly supply these relationships with what is necessary because you're living to ultimately please your father. God said, do everything that you do in word or deed as unto the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 3. Everything that you do. He said, when you're honoring your parents, you're really honoring God. 
When you're obeying your employer, you're really obeying your heavenly father. When you are standing in right alignment with the government and the laws that you live in, then you're ultimately in the right alignment with God's government, God's kingdom. You do everything as unto him. So I will operate in this relation properly when, I'm, when my ultimate motive is to please my father in heaven. The relationships that I have on earth, I will properly supply and properly operate in because my ultimate motive is to please my heavenly father who I cannot see. But when you go to people for affirmation, when you go to uh, people to try to please them and, 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 and you're in a relationship and you're trying to keep that thing connected by, you know, well, if I do this, they'll like me. If I do this, they'll accept me. It's going to fall apart because that person can't carry that weight. That person can't affir- affirm you enough. We saw with Jesus that when he came up after being baptized by John the Baptist, his father boomed down with a voice that said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Little side note, he hadn't done a single miracle yet. Hadn't done anything yet. He's just been living. He's 30 years old. He's going to his cousin, John the Baptist, who's six months older than him, and says, you need to baptize me. He hasn't turned any water into wine. He hasn't raised a sick person. He hasn't uh, healed a deaf person. He hasn't opened blind eyes. He hasn't caused a lame man to come up. He hasn't raised a dead man. He hasn't cast out any demons. And his father, before he does anything, says, this is the one I'm pleased in. See, when you become confident in God's love for you and that God accepts you and God has already affirmed you, you won't run around to people trying to get them to like you. You won't run around and put that weight on people to, for, for, uh, to try to be good enough for them. And then we'll properly define the relationships. Then when you're not putting a, a weight on someone that they can't carry, then they can become a benefit to you and you can now be a benefit to them. Last week, we talked about relationships that we need to avoid. Need to avoid. I know that doesn't sound very Christian-like. That doesn't sound very godly. But even Jesus had to uh, beware of relationships that would draw him away from his father. And so we looked at relationships. We looked at draining relationships. We looked at relationships with people that just drain you. They're just takers, but they're not givers. They don't have anything to offer in return. They're needy people. They just drain you. They just always have problems. They've always got something going on. And look, we can meet problems. But at some point, if those are the only people you associate with, you will never get anything in return. You will be drained. That is a relationship that is dysfunctional and unhealthy. And anything that is unhealthy is infectious and will cause problems in other areas. We talked about uh, soul ties, ungodly soul ties. Getting in relationships with people based upon everything you do is thinking about that person in mind. Well, I hope they like this. I know, I know married people today, married people with kids that still wonder what their parents are going to think about something. That is an ungodly soul tie. You are separated from that. The Bible says that when you get married, you separate from your mother and your father and you cleave. Now, I'm not saying that you're trying to displease your parents. But what I'm saying is, is every little thought, every, every action, every passion that you have in life is tied to another person. What will this person think? What will that coworker think? It doesn't matter. The only question you need to be asking in your life is, what will my heavenly father That's what's most important. Jesus wants to be your soul tie. Jesus wants you to be connected with him in your thoughts, in your actions, in your words. It it can be easy to tell who people associate with because they think alike and they talk alike and they act alike and they respond alike. It becomes identifiable. You've been hanging out with that person. And we're supposed to connect on that level. But that means that we need to get connected with the people that are worth thinking and acting and talking and responding like. Those are the relationships that we need to be cultivating and investing in.
Today, uh, title of my message today is, Why Don't You Like Me? In Luke chapter 3, or I'm sorry, Why Can't We Be Friends? The series is, Why Don't You Like Me? Today, we're going to talk about, Why Can't We Be Friends? We're going to touch a little more on uh, the relationships, uh, ones identifying ones that can be hurtful. But here's the thing you have to understand. Every relationship is tied to responsibility. Every relationship is tied to responsibility. When you enter a relationship, there is a responsibility on both parties now. Remember, the, the ultimate purpose for a relationship is to help each other discover and fulfill your purpose in the kingdom of God. That is the purpose for a relationship. Period. So now there's a responsibility that comes upon my life and a responsibility upon the other individual's life. Now that we're in a relationship, there's a responsibility that takes place. Luke chapter 3, verse 37 says, The son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalalel, the son of Canaan, verse 38, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Adam is the son of God. I mean, if you want to talk about tight relationship, that's about as tight as it gets. The father-son relationship. I mean, there's friends that we're close with. Married relationships, you know, that's close. But father-son, that's blood. You are of me. Like my dad used to tell me, I brought you in this world, and I can take you out. <laughs> Why? He's my dad. He put me here in one sense. And so God creates Adam, puts him on the planet, and Adam is his son. But here's what I want to help identify this morning. It's the thing I want to walk away with. Relationship never overrides responsibility. Relationship never overrides responsibility. One of the hardest things that I've seen people do in ministry is disconnect from another person. This disconnecting from individuals. It's the hardest thing to do. When you realize that I don't need to be in this relationship anymore. This relationship's unhealthy. This relationship's dysfunctional. But for some reason, we keep running back to that. Here's what I want to show you. God is a father to his son, Adam. Now, Adam was given a responsibility in the relationship, was he not? Tend the garden. Guard it. Keep it. Be fruitful. Multiply. In our Kingdom Institute, uh, Caleb Clay, he's teaching our class on the introduction to the kingdom. And he identified that there were five things that God told Adam to do and one thing that he told Adam not to do. See, we picture God as this God that's got a bunch of don'ts. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Uh, that was the Ten Commandments that showed up after man had already fallen and failed to do the what God has called him to do in the first place. So he's created Adam, is in a father-son relationship, and Adam has a responsibility. Obviously, the one don't was, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God did not put the relationship before Adam's responsibility. When Adam and Eve became irresponsible and disobeyed, he didn't say, ah, that's my boy. That's my son. We're, we're tight, you know. It's all right. He blew it. That's, we're good. Come on, you're not going to get any tighter than the father-son relationship. But God understood something. This relationship has responsibility, and you have become irresponsible. And what did he do? Cut him off. Right there. 
cut him off. Their relationship was never the same. God used to come down in the cool of the day, walking with them, talking with them, associating with them. And in one fell swoop, and we saw in the first week that Eve entered a relationship with the devil. How? Because she thought like him, and she talked like him, and she did what the devil told her to do. Entered a relationship. She was already in a relationship with God. And she disobeyed that relationship, became irresponsible with that relationship, entered another relationship, and so God doesn't put relationship before responsibility. He says, cut off. Get out of the garden. Puts angels at the edge of the garden so they cannot get back in. And is cut off. In Genesis chapter 6, just six chapters later, we see the story of Noah, and we see that man has become so wicked and so corrupt that he's even at the point where the Bible says God has regretted that he even made man. But here's the awesome part. As soon as Adam blew it, God immediately puts a plan into place to get them back in relationship. God isn't looking for a bunch of people to just come hang out with him in heaven. He's looking for a relationship. Now, he brings Jesus. We just sang the song, nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood. The blood that Jesus shed has redeemed you and restored you in a right relationship with God. When you confess him as, his, as your Lord, when you confess him as your Savior, when you believe that he died on the cross and rose again for your sins, you are now restored, you are now redeemed, you are now placed back in the right relationship with God. But relationship is tied to responsibility. And so now, as believers, now being restored and redeemed, we're not here just praying a prayer and hanging out until we get to heaven. Now we're here to do something. Why? Because God knew, if they're going to do anything for my kingdom, I've got to enter a relationship. And the reason why I need to be in a relationship is because there's a responsibility that I need to put on their life. And if they remain responsible, we are in relationship and they can now do what I've called them to do. Now your purpose can be fulfilled in life. See, relationship is what God is after. God wants a relationship, but there's a reason. He wants the relationship so that you can now fulfill the responsibility of the relationship. So that's you and your father. Well, we're talking about the relationships that we keep on earth. We're talking about the relationships that we're involved in. And there is a responsibility that we have in those relationships. The problem is, is that sometimes we get in relationships that are irresponsible. We get in a relationship where one of the parties is irresponsible. And irresponsible relationships are dysfunctional relationships. Irresponsible relationships are unhealthy relationships. Look at Ruth chapter 1. Irresponsibility will, co- will cost you a relationship. And again, the hardest thing for people to do is to cut themselves off from people. Disassociate. It's so easy to get in a relationship and it's so hard to let go and get out of a relationship. But when one of the parties proves to be irresponsible, now we've got a decision to make. Because somebody's not holding up their end. Ruth chapter 1, verse 6. Let me just give you a little backdrop in the first five, five verses here. We have a woman named Naomi. and She had a husband. And they had two boys. And the two boys married two girls. The husband and the two boys die. So now you got Naomi and the two daughters-in-law. 
Okay? And they're living in a land called Moab. But Naomi says, I, we need to go back to Bethlehem, where they were originally from. We need to go back to Bethlehem, Judah, because uh, we hear that God is doing some things over there. It's always good to be where God's doing something. Amen? Amen. And here in verse 6, she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. Verse 7, therefore she went out from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead, the, two, the, the uh, husbands, her sons, and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. So she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, surely we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there still sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband tonight and should also bear sons, would you wait for them till they were grown? Would you restrain yourselves from having husbands? No, my daughters, for it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, watch this, entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me and more also. But anything but death parts, if anything but death parts, you and me. When she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. Ruth has chosen to stay near her mother-in-law, Naomi. Orpah has decided to turn around and go back to her people, her gods, her way of living. She has chosen to go back and associate with what she had been brought out of. But Ruth chooses to stay with Naomi. Now, Ruth does not choose to stay with Naomi because of relationship. She doesn't, stay, she doesn't choose to stay with her uh, because of her belief, uh, because of her friendships, because of everything she's done. She doesn't get moved emotionally. This context is way deeper than that. And she says, where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people. Watch this. Your God will be my God. She chooses to stay with Naomi on something way deeper than friendship. She chooses to stay with her based on faith, based upon her belief, based upon who she served. She's not choosing to stay with Naomi because of who she was. She's staying with Naomi because of who she served. Something way deeper than mother-in-law, daughter-in-law. Something way deeper than just a friendship. Same, something way deeper than we have spent time with each other. Now it's beyond that. It's because of who you serve, that's who I want to be near. Because of your faith, because of your belief system. I'm not going to return to where I came from. I'm going to stay near you because of ultimately who you're serving. But see, we choose to stay in relationships because of the person. In essence, you can say this, we value the person over the purpose. You cannot value a person greater than their purpose. You got to understand that we are in a relationship together because of your purpose and my purpose. And when that is your, your 
forefront mentality, when that is your priority, then you will guard your purpose. You will protect it. And when anything tries to come and compromise your purpose or come against your purpose, you will cut it off. Because that's more important than this relationship. That's more important than we've just been around each other a long time. That's more important than we're blood. If we are no longer joined by purpose, then we don't have an association. You have to be careful in how much investment you place in other people and how much you allow other people to invest in you. And when someone shows themselves to be irresponsible with the relationship, you cannot continue to give them the same level of access they had before. You cannot continue to give people the same amount of access to your life and and allow people to invest as much as they were investing before. And you can't keep investing as much as you were before because they're being irresponsible. Here's the thing. Y'all have heard me talk about the stewardship principle. Stewardship. What is stewardship? Stewardship is taking care of something that does not belong to you knowing that somebody else owns it. That is stewardship. And the thing you have to understand is in this life and on this earth, you own nothing. You don't own that vehicle. You don't own that house. You don't own those kids. You don't own that bank account. You don't own those finances. You own nothing. Because when you confess that Jesus is Lord, he becomes the owner. That's what a Lord is. So we don't know what a Lord is because we don't. We don't have lords in our government system. The closest thing that we have to a lord is a landlord. You take care of the house that is owned by somebody else, and you're controlling it, you're taking care of it, you're governing, you're governing it. You're the one that chooses what, uh, what color goes on the wall. You're the one that chooses uh, what room is which bedroom and which room is the kitchen and which room is... You're the one that decides uh, you know, what you hang up. You're the one that decides what the thermostat's set on. You're governing it. You're controlling it. You're managing it. But somebody else owns it. Well, guess what? We have to be stewards of the relationships that God gives us. We have to be responsible. See, I... I, it's, it's deeper than just a, a personal investment, than just a relationship. The, this is someone I just grew up with. It's deeper than that. God has placed you in my life. God has given me to you. God gave you that spouse. God gave you that employer. God gave you that employee. God gave you that coworker. God gave you that friend. God placed them in your life. So we've got to be responsible with those relationships. We have to steward them properly. What does that mean? That means take care of the relationship as if I owned it, knowing that someone else owned it. Govern and control and manage the relationship properly. And when one shows themselves to be irresponsible, you go and you try to correct. You go and you try uh, to, to mend the relationship, but if they... If that fails, if they show that they don't want to correct, they don't want to change, they, then you have to disconnect, you have to disassociate. And bottom line is you cannot continue to allow access that you once had. Because it will destroy you. It will destroy your purpose. Look at 2 Kings chapter 2. You've got to know why you're friends with someone. The Bible has a lot to say about the company that we keep. The Bible has a lot to say about the people we associate with, the people we get close to. 2 Kings chapter 2, you're going to see another very tight relationship. In 2 Kings chapter 2 and verse 1, 
And it came to pass when the Lord was about to take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. These two guys, I mean, they're, they're meant to be with each other. Elijah and Elisha. That's easy. Verse 2, then Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Bethel. So Elijah's telling Elisha, look, man, you can just hang back. I'm going somewhere. I'm getting ready to be taken up. God's getting ready to to, uh, take me. You just hang back, man. You don't have to follow me anymore. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Now the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came out to Elisha and said, and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And he said, Yes, I know. Shut up. I know. He's coming. Keep silent. Then Elijah said to him, Elisha, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Jericho. But he said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. Now the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho came to Elisha and said to him, do you know that the Lord will take away your master? I mean, you you got people coming in trying to separate the tie. You ever had a tight relationship that you knew was right, knew that was supposed to be in place and someone was trying to sever it? Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And he answered, yes, I know. He's like, quit telling me. Quit telling me that I know this already. I don't want to think about it. Then Elijah said to him, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to the Jordan. But he said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Skip on down to verse 9. And so it was when they had crossed over that Elijah said to Elisha, ask, what may I do for you? before I am taken away from you. Elisha said, please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. So he said, you have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. Then it happened as they continued on and talked that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven, and Elisha saw it and cried, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. So he saw him no more. And he took hold of his own clothes and tore them into two pieces. He also took up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan. Here we see two men that are very close in relationship. A relationship that is what you would call a tight friendship. In fact, it was even on a different level because they called Elijah Elisha's master. Now that's hard to picture because most of us don't have bosses that we don't mind leaving behind. Most of us don't work for someone that we just, don't leave me. Not very many of us have worked for that kind of guy. But Elijah did. And Elijah served, uh, uh, Elisha served Elijah, and there was a very tight-knit relationship. And even when people try to come in and say, look, man, he's getting ready to leave. Leave him alone. I mean, you, you're gonna, don't you know you're going to be separated? And he's like, man, I don't want to hear about it. Don't, don't talk to me about that. I don't even want to think about it. We're, we're tight. We're close. But look at what he was moved by. Elijah says, ask, what, what, what do you want? What can I do for you? And he says, let a double portion of the spirit that's on you be on me. He realized we're in a relationship because there's something inside of me that needs to be drawn out. And so I'm not going to leave you because you can draw out of me whatever that greatness is. You're going to help me fulfill my purpose. You're going to help me discover my purpose. You're going to help me be who God has called me to be. That's the kind of relationship you want to invest in. 
That's a responsible relationship. That's the kind of person you want to be around. Someone that is going to draw greatness out, out of you. And you want to cling to them. You want to be around them. I want to serve your God. I want to be with you. I want to think like you think. I want to do what you're doing. I want to talk like you. Those are the relationships you have to identify. And those are the relationships you invest in. Because we talked about that last week. Investment. When you invest something, you're looking for a return. Elijah said, Elijah, make investment in my life. Because I know if you make investment, you'll reap a return. That if you invest in my life, that greatness will come up out of me. That's the kind of relationship that you want to be in. In John chapter 6, you know, we think about Jesus as someone that everybody wanted to be around. Jesus loved everybody. He's just a loving, kind person that liked to pet people's sheep and take their children and put them in his lap. And he was just such a kind, loving person. And everybody just wanted to be around him and people just followed him everywhere he went. But look at verse 66. From that time, many of his disciples disciples went back and walked with him no more what'd they do they severed a tie they cut off a relationship that they weren't willing to invest in why would they choose not to walk with jesus now this isn't talking about his 12 disciples jesus had a lot of disciples Disciples just simply means a follower. He picked 12 specific disciples that stayed with him to the end and that they ultimately went on and did what Jesus did and reinstated the church. But these disciples was a larger group. And Jesus here is talking about how, you know, he's going to die and his flesh is the bread that we'll eat. His blood is the, uh, the uh, wine that we'll drink. And, you know, he's talking about his separation. And I'm going to, you know, they're going to kill me. They're going to destroy this temple. And, and people didn't like that kind of talk. See, they loved Jesus when he was doing all kinds of miracles. But eventually got to a point where that's all they wanted to see was just show us another sign. Just show us another wonder. We don't even want to hear what you have to say anymore. And he had to tell them, you're, you're a bunch of fools. Woe to you. Because all you want is a sign. Every time I show up in your town, you just want to see me do another miracle. You don't want to hear a word that comes out of my mouth. Why? Because it's the truth that will set you free. Not a miracle, not a sign, not a wonder. And we believe in signs and wonders. And miracles still do take place. But that's not what's going to set you free. It's the truth of the gospel of the kingdom of God that will set you free. They didn't want to hear it anymore. And so now we've got disciples that went back. What'd they do? They went back and associated with something that they had come out of. How many of you would say that Jesus is a relationship worth investing in? If Jesus was here today, how many of you would be friends with Jesus? You'd like his Facebook page? Yeah. Yeah, that's worth investing in. But they decided, no, I don't want to hang out with Jesus. The guy's weird, talks about weird stuff, talks about dying and coming back to life in three days, talking about destroying temples that took 40 years to build, and he's going to raise it back up in three days. I don't want to be around this guy. I'm going to drink his blood and eat his flesh. Who's this weird guy? So look what happens in verse 67. Then Jesus said to the 12, see, he's identifying the 12 disciples. Do you also want to go away? Now, if you had spent time with Jesus for three and a half years, gone everywhere he's gone, heard every message he's ministered, he's been spending time with you, he's, you've ate with this guy, you've slept with this guy, you've traveled with this guy, and, and you know, that might be kind of hard to walk away from. Well, you know, we, we've been together for so long. You're a cool guy. I mean, I think you're still cool. I still like you. 
we've, we've gotten tight. We already know Peter got tight with Jesus, so much so that he looked at him and he rebuked him when he said, I'm getting ready to go. And Peter got all emotional and, no, man, we're friends. You, you, we, no, I got, let's go with a different plan. We're, let, let's hang out some more. Let's go catch fish again. And, and, and Jesus had to look him in the eye and say, get behind me, Satan. Why? You're not mindful of the things that my father, you don't think like my father thinks. And since this is my priority, this relationship's more important to me, get behind me, Satan. So we already know there was a tight bond there. But look what Peter says here. Lord, to whom shall we go? Now look at his reasoning for staying in the relationship. You have the words of eternal life. Peter identified, there's something inside of me that you're drawing out. And I want to stay in this relationship. I don't want to disassociate. I don't want to break off this relationship. I don't want to become irresponsible. Because if I hang around you, you have words that will draw greatness out of me. You want that to be the reason why people want to be around you. You don't want people just to be around you because they think you're cool. Because guess what? You'll be cool one day, and you won't be cool the next day. You try to live for people to just think you're cool, think you're fun to be around. You know, you, you throw good parties and you know a lot of people and it's just always fun. One day, that's not going to be enough. But Peter had to identify here, look, man, the reason why we're with you is because you're investing something in us. You're giving us something that no one else can give us. In fact, we have left everything to come follow you. What's Peter looking at? I've made investment in your life. You have been making investment in my life. This is a relationship worth keeping. Regardless of how crazy you sound right now, I may not understand it, and we know they didn't because it doesn't say till after Jesus came back and rose from the dead that the scriptures were revealed to them. They had no idea what he's talking about Destroy the temple and rebuild it. They had no idea what he's talking about, eat my flesh and drink my blood. They have no idea. They think, they're thinking, man, this guy's crazy just like the rest of them. But what do they do? They decide, regardless of all that, this is someone worth hanging around. This is a relationship worth keeping. This is a relationship worth having. And if I remain responsible and you remain responsible, this is a healthy relationship that's functional and you're going to pull something out of me that I don't even know is there right now. You see the, the level of closeness, the level of tightness, the, the, the level of investment that's taking place. It's beyond just emotional stuff. It's beyond blood. That, that, that None of that overrides the responsibility in the relationship. Look what Jesus says in John chapter 15, verse 12. These are popular verses. John chapter 15 and verse 12. This is my commandment that you love one another watch this as i have loved you do you realize that up until this point no one could ever love like jesus loved he hasn't been in the planet he's just given them a new commandment love your neighbor as yourself that was the best they could do the best i can do is love you the way i love myself so on the days that I don't love myself, you're not getting much. But now Jesus has requalified it. Love each other as I have loved you. Let's keep going. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Now look at this odd statement in verse 14. You are my friends... If you do whatever I command you. I don't know, man. I wouldn't have a lot of friends if I said, we'll be friends as long as you do what I say. If you do everything I tell you to do, we're tight. 
you stop doing what I'm doing, we're not cool anymore. And Jesus is looking at 12 men that have given up everything, and he says, me and you, we got a close relationship as long as you obey me. (laughs) But watch what he says. Verse 15, no longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give you these things. I command you that you love one another. He starts off by saying, love each other as I have loved you. How have I loved you? I have laid down my life for you. And the reason we're friends is because you do what I say, because you obey me. Now watch this. He takes it even deeper than that. He says, you're not just obeying me because we're not, this isn't master servant stuff. You know what I'm telling you to do because I have revealed to you my father. He says, ultimately, you're not obeying me. You're obeying my father because I have shown you everything that my father has told me. I've taught you everything. The things that you have learned from me, you've ultimately learned from the Father. He, what's he do? He takes this relationship and takes it straight back to his Father. And here's the reason why you need to obey me. Because I am obeying my Father. So if you obey me, you're really obeying my Father. And that's why we're friends. Because I obey the Father and you obey the Father. We're friends because you do what I say, but what I'm telling you to do is really what my father's telling you to do. That's a relationship worth investing in. And so there's a responsibility. Now look what he said in verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. The relationship that he had with his disciples was so that they could They could bear fruit. Something could be drawn out. I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. The reason we're in this relationship is because I'm causing you to do something great in the earth. I didn't choose you because you look cool. I didn't choose you because, uh, you know, I, I just needed friends and I needed someone to hang out with and I was just lonely. I needed someone that I could pull greatness out of. And look, he picked 12 guys that looked like a bunch of idiots. Look at the stuff that they did. Even when they were with each other, they're fighting with each other. They're arguing over who's going to get to sit at Jesus' right hand. I mean, just goofy stuff, man. Got an emotional cracker box over here in Peter that just... It just flies off the handle, jumping out of boats, cutting people's ears off, picking tax collectors, two brothers that don't even get along, and just craziness. But what did he do? I chose you. I've entered this relationship because there's something inside of you that you don't even know is there. And if You invest in the relationship, and I invest in the relationship. You're going to cause me to help fulfill my purpose. What? Go to the cross and restore the kingdom back to the earth. And I'm going to draw greatness out of you, and that you are going to bear fruit in the earth now. We need to look at the relationships that we have, and we need to ask the question, are they helping me bear fruit, or are they killing my fruit? It's about your purpose. Now, here's the thing. You have to value your purpose. People that I know in life that have no purpose in life, they associate with anybody and everybody. They don't care. They don't care who they hang around. They don't care who their friends are. They don't care who they go uh, out to eat with. They don't care who they spend hours on the phone with. They don't care. They have no purpose in life, and so they they have no discernment or filter for who their friends are. But when you become a person of purpose, and when you value the purpose on the inside of you, you will guard what's on the outside of you. 
When you value what's on the inside of you, you will protect what you let around you. It's nothing personal. I've had to tell that to people. It's nothing personal. But my purpose is greater than this relationship. And if you're going to be irresponsible with my purpose, you're not going to be allowed to invest in it. It's that simple. Well, that sounds hard. It's not. It's not hard. Because if they destroy your purpose, they destroy you. Well, that doesn't sound like the love of God. Well, let's define the love of God. Jesus just talked about it. Love each other as I have loved you. What's he saying? I have loved you, and I have entered a relationship so that what I'm investing in you, you will bear fruit of. Did he not just define that with his disciples? Then he turns around and says, now you go and love each other that way. That means the reason that we enter a relationship is to help you bear fruit and you help me bear fruit. When that's not happening anymore, you've become irresponsible with the relationship and now something needs to be cut off. It's that simple. You don't continue to give access with people that don't handle your purpose properly. When you become a person of purpose, when you value your purpose that's on your life, whether you know what it is or not, all you really need to know is that you have a purpose. If one person on the face of this planet was created without a purpose, that would mean that God did something by accident. What's the opposite of doing something on purpose? Doing it on accident. But my God doesn't make accidents. That means every single individual has a purpose. So regardless of whether you know it or not, you just need to know that you have a purpose. And now knowing that, that gives us better discernment and a greater filter for who we allow to access that purpose and make investment in our life. Let's look at these last few verses. Proverbs chapter 13. Proverbs 13, verse 20. He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. The companion of fools will be destroyed. He who walks with wise men will be wise. You want to be wise? Get around, get around people that are wiser than you. I like to be around people with vision. As a pastor, God has given us a great vision. He's given us a great future. But I don't want to get around people that don't have vision for their life. They're just living it day by day. They don't care about tomorrow. They don't care about next year. They don't care about five years. They're not trying to set themselves up. They're not trying to attempt to do something that people have said cannot be done. I like getting around people that uh, say, hey, I don't think anybody's ever done this before, but we're going to try and do it. Those are the kind of people I want to be around. And just a little side note, you attract people that are like you. You can't gossip if you're all by yourself. (laughs) But isn't it amazing that gossipers surround themselves with people that gossip? If you want to know a little bit about yourself, take a look at the people that you hang out with and associate with. You'll learn something about yourself. But I want to be people, I want to get around people that are going to bring greatness out of me. I want, to get, I want to get around people that are going to cause me to do something I've never done before, cause me to be something that I've never been before, and bring out something that I haven't even seen before. Proverbs 14. Proverbs 14, verse 7. Go from the presence of a foolish man when you do not perceive in him the lips of of knowledge. First Corinthians fifteen thirty three, in the New Living Translation says this: Do not be deceived. Evil 
company. Evil company corrupts good character. Well, I'm a good person. I'm a, I'm, I mean, I'm a good person. I, you know, I, I live a good life. It's okay. I, I'm helping them. Be careful. If you get around a relationship that causes you to compromise who you are, that relationship is not investing in you. That relationship is not helping you. That relationship is hurting you. Look, you're going to have plenty of opportunity if you haven't already. With relationships that you have today, relationships that you may have years from now, where they're going to identify themselves as either helpful or hurting. I don't, I hate seeing people hurting. And I hate seeing people hurting because they're around hurting people. Hurt people hurt people. Now look, if you're the hurting person, get around someone that can help. If you're the hurting person, get around someone that's going to look past where you're at today and is going to see the vision for your life. Jesus said, I'm around you not because you are bearing fruit. I've appointed you so that you can bear fruit. He picked a bunch of trees that didn't have leaves, didn't have fruit, looked dead, wilted, and withered, were cast along the side of the road by everybody else, and he picked them and said, this thing's got fruit inside of it. And if I can cultivate it, if I can invest it, I can draw greatness out of it. There's nothing that I hate more to see people that are hurting, see people that can't help anybody else, but then they just migrate to people that are hurting as well and nobody's helping anybody. It's one of the first things you have to identify in your life is, are the people around me, are they contributing to my hurt and to my pain? Might be time to identify the irresponsibility that's happening on the other end. And here's the other side of it, because everything we're talking about in relationships that you're trying to identify as someone else, you have to first identify in yourself. Look, you, you won't have responsible relationships if you act irresponsibly with relationships. We've got to be responsible people. You have to be a person that when you get around another individual, you see them, you see them for far more than what they're producing today. And you believe in them. Love believes the best. I'm here today because somebody saw something in me that they didn't see in the natural. I'm here today because someone chose to be in a relationship with me and cultivate and invest in my life because they saw greatness when I was producing garbage. That's why I'm here today. I can go back in my life and I can identify all the people that have brought me to where I am today. I can go back and I can identify. And look, I had opportunities. I said that. I had opportunities to get around people that wanted to drown me, people that wanted to smother me. And I had to make the right choice. Am I going to associate with that person? Is what they're offering me, is that going to help me? Is that place that they're wanting me to go, is that going to help me? you got to identify this. This isn't just for children. This isn't just for teenagers. As adults, we have to make these decisions. And be man enough to cut off an irresponsible relationship. It's nothing personal. But my purpose is greater than what you're putting in. 
We've got to be proper stewards of the people that God has placed in our lives. Father, we thank you today. You have stored greatness. You have stored potential. Potential is stored capacity. That means it's a capability that we haven't produced yet. But it's in there. So, Father, allow us to get around the people that are going to draw that out of us. We're tired of getting around people that are smothering us. We're tired of getting around people that are hurting us. We're to get tired of getting around people that don't care about our purpose. We're tired of getting around people that don't have any vision for their life. Father, help us be smart in the associations we choose, in the decisions we make, in the friends that we uh, hang out with, in the uh, individuals and the relationships that we enter. Help us see them biblically. See past emotion. See past blood. See past uh, memories and histories. Look past all the natural and see the person for who they really are, for who you've really created them to be. Father, to, no longer will we just throw our arm around someone and, 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 and say, man, it's going to be okay. Don't worry about it. No, we're going to begin to show them the truth in love. We're going to begin to identify the vision and the purpose that's on their life. And we're going to begin to make maneuvers motivated by vision, motivated by purpose. Knowing that there's something greater on the inside than what they're currently producing. Father, we allow this message today, the word that's been spoken, we allow it to permeate not just our minds, not just go in one ear and out the other. Let it go deep down into our spirit. We will meditate on it. We will discover. We will learn, hear, understand, and perceive the word of God today. I thank you that it's been spoken with clarity and with boldness, with authority, and that it will Go out and accomplish that which you sent forth for it to do. We thank you for all that you're doing in and through our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.